Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very really frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing, television, and the business of writing television. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes. <laughs> I'm also currently a writer on the CW's Supernatural. Uh, we have a brilliant group of writers, none of whom I know. So this is going to be interesting. Uh, usually I know personally at least one or two people on the panel. Uh, so we're all going to get to know each other. You might hear more from me this, this week. Sorry. <laughs> all right. You guys ready? Currently, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fly through these intros. So, Alan, get ready to run. Currently on Parks and Recreation, he was one of uh, Variety's 10 screenwriters to watch a couple of years ago. Uh, we have lots of questions for him about South Park and other kinds of writing uh, experiences. Please welcome Alan Yang. Faster. Okay, here we go. Assistant on, uh, she started assistant on Lone Gunman and X-Files and Star Trek Enterprise and Grey's Anatomy and Mad Men, and she was uh, like a script supervisor on Breaking Bad. She, we want to hear about all these assistanting things and how they prepared her. Please welcome Jenny Hutchison. <laughs> too informal. A little too informal. Uh, you can, you'll, you'll be talking into this. Please okay. adjust it so it's comfortable. Hello. Um, this guy has written on Cold Case. He's written on Chase, and he's currently on the television program Justified. Please welcome Ryan Farley. That was more of a saunter. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Take his time. Uh, I guess it was a mosey. You've learned a lot on Justified. Uh, and finally, uh, listen, Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, The Dead Zone, Battlestar Galactica, Caprica. Please welcome Michael Taylor up here. Alan, tell us about how you started in this business. Tell us, in fact, about your background. Did you always want to be a television writer? I always wanted to watch a lot of TV. I didn't know that this was a job until I got to, like, college or something. I mean, when I was growing up, I was a nerdy, smart kid, you know, I'd um, you know, study a lot, whatever. But I always just wanted to watch, like, three hours of The Simpsons and Seinfeld, like, every night. And my mom's like, what are you doing? Like, this is just a waste of your time. Then I got to college and I got on a comedy magazine there where I was just like, oh, this is what I want. I just want to write jokes all the time. You can tell them the and name of the it was, it was called The Harvard Lampoon. Yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a comedy writing magazine that's 
uh, it, you know, it's a place to get trained and basically learn how to write jokes and and uh, and, and hang out with other assholes like you. So, yeah. <laughs> you're, I, I think you're the first Lampoon person we've had here. Tell us a little oh, cool. bit about uh, getting involved there and what was that training? Yeah, I mean, what was it, the atmosphere. Like? It, it is it is honestly one of the harder things to get on at, at Harvard. It, you uh, you basically meet at the beginning of each semester and. There's this scary building called the Lampoon Castle, and it was built by William Randolph Hearst in 1909, and it's a mock Flemish castle with like a face on the front of it. And if you're not on staff, you only get to go into one or two rooms. There's like a circular library you can go into. So they hold office hours there. They hold meetings at the beginning of the semester, and there's like you know 200 people crammed in this circular library. They tell you what to do. You basically have to write short comedy pieces, and then you bring them to office hours. People evaluate them, and they make fun of you. They're huge assholes to you. They take your pieces and light them on fire and throw them in the trash can. It's really like, it. Re- that really happens. And so gradually over time, there's cuts. So you submit three pieces. They cut it down from like 200 people to 50. Then there's a second round of cuts. You write six more pieces. They cut you to, down from 50 to What's 10. What's the time frame on those? Um, just a whole semester basically. Okay. So you do this and then finally, after the second cuts, there's a staff election and then they elect anywhere from two to four writers per semester. So it's pretty intense. I failed a number of times. Like, I tried many times to get on, kept, kept failing, went to every office hours, worked super hard, wrote hundreds of pieces. Finally, I was like, screw these guys. I'm never comping. I'm never trying to get on again. Then I was like, maybe I should try one more time. And I wrote the minimum number of pieces, kind of half-assed it, wrote like six things, just turned them in, and I made it that time. So, And it changed my entire life. It really does. So when you're there, when you're actually on staff, you're incredibly intimidated. And I think it's really good training for a comedy writer's room because you walk into the building, you've read these people's stuff in the magazine, you know that you know if you're on the Lampoon, you have a good shot of going on and, and getting jobs later, and you know it's, they're really talented people. So you go in there and you're scared to say anything. You're really terrified. And so gradually you hang out with them, you sort of gain more confidence. Everything you say is scrutinized and people make fun of you if you're not funny. So it weeds people out. And it's similar to comedy writing now. It's like the more you hang out with funny people, the more you'll sort of rob from them and steal their, you steal their comedy essences or whatever. Um, so you do that and basically, in other words, you're there 14 hours a day watching TV and getting drunk and making jokes. So you do that and I was like, oh, this is way better than biology, my major. So, <laughs> so I moved out to LA and then just started writing a bunch of spec scripts and sketch packets and everything like that. All right, good. We'll get, we'll get into that transition cool. in a minute. Um, Jenny. Yes. You have worked your way up the ranks. Yes. Tell us about that process. Where did you start out? Where do you come from? Um, I went to school in San Francisco, and I lucked into a PA job on Nash Bridges. And after a year there, I was like, I want to continue working in TV, but I don't really want to work on Nash Bridges anymore, Um, so I guess I have to move to L.A. I was in production. (laughs) (laughs) So I mailed hard copy resumes to 20 shows, and then moved to L.A., and I actually got a job out of it, which I don't think would ever happen now, like mailing resumes to shows. Um, and I actually got a job in the writer's office at the X-Files as a PA, which was amazing because I was a huge X-Files nerd, and when I told my friends from college, they didn't believe me. But <laughs> um, So from there, I was lucky. I was there for about three seasons, and then um, worked on one season of a show for like seven years after that, you know. I followed John Scheiben for a while, who was also on X-Files. So I kind of went from show to show. Uh, I ended up on Mad Men, 
and uh, we were wrapping up our season. And I and what, heard, what what were you doing? What was the position on Mad Men? I was Matt Weiner's assistant. Okay. On the first. So were you going? Men. Were you becoming uh, like these personal assistants? I was assistants. I was a writer's assistant for a while. So I had kind of done the thing where I was a writer's assistant and things were going great and I had a great relationship with the showrunner and I was like, hey, maybe I could get a freelance and then the show would get canceled. So I'd had like that or they'd be like, well, we would, but we promised that freelance to this assistant who I knew three shows ago. So that happens a lot. So I'd had a kind of a couple of false starts. Uh, so I was Matt Weiner's assistant on Mad Men and I heard that AMC had a new show called Breaking Bad. That was created by Vince Gilligan, who I had worked for on X-Files. And I was like, this is my chance. <laughs> so um, I emailed him and was like, please give me any job that you might possibly have on your show. Because Vince is one of the greatest just people in the world, and he's very talented. And I just wanted to work on the show. Uh, and I knew that because I had a relationship with him, if it went anywhere, that would be a good place for me to show that I could write an episode. So that's essentially what happened. I was his assistant, and then I talked my way into being the writer's assistant and worked really hard for a year and then said, hey, want to hire me as a staff writer? And he was like, hey, why don't I give you a freelance instead? Uh, <laughs> yes. um, so that but was you my, got that freelance. I did, I did. But, you know, aim high. Right. Um, so and that was just last season, right? That was season three. Mm -hmm. And so that was my uh, audition and I didn't totally screw it up. And uh, so he staffed me for season so during, I want to step back a little bit, but during all of the uh, assistanting and yeah. you know working for people as shows were getting canceled, what were you doing as a writer? Um, I was uh, I was writing my own stuff. I was working on a pilot. I you know wrote a spec. I wrote a feature, mm -hmm. um, and mostly I was just trying to be really good at my job as an assistant um, because I feel like being really good at that job shows that you can be really good at the next job if you really care about the show if you're really paying attention and I tried to form lots of relationships so even though I've only been a staff writer for a short time I know a lot of writers so I'm kind of it's been valuable being on so many shows because now I kind of I mean I know a bunch of people now Absolutely. so um, and how many of these shows were you actually a writer's assistant on? Uh, Probably two or three. Okay. And so can you, I don't know if these guys are familiar, but can you just tell them briefly what's involved with that job? Because um, it is a good, generally a good yeah. uh, entry. If you want to be a writer, that's a, that's a great job to get. It's really competitive. But um, you, when I was a writer's assistant, it varies from show to show, but generally you're in the room, you're taking notes, everything that's being talked about in the room or discussed. Um, so I basically just write everything down. And then, you know, occasionally you get to pitch sometimes too, which is nice once... They know you, and you know everyone else is done pitching. Then you can pitch, but um, but yeah, it's basically it's basically just you are the official record keeper, and I also volunteered to do anything that people didn't want to do, you know, like writing stuff for the website or you know anything. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is something we've heard a couple of times now from people who worked up from uh, yeah. assistant level. Just say yes to any of those opportunities. Yeah, be really excited about you know writing an audition scene. You know, like. Um, and just one more, one follow-up on this. When you were looking to leave Nash, which I don't know why you would, um, we've, we've had a lot of fun with I was Nash really Bridges young. here. I was really young. So. <laughs> um, when you were looking to leave Nash, uh, and you sent out these resumes to these 25 shows, yeah. uh, and it was specifically two shows. Yeah. I, um, I mean, and it I was just ones you dug? 
Well, no, I got a creative directory, and I basically just <laughs> sent a resume to every single television show um, that was, you know, producing shows. And I got, you know, I got to interview it, you know, Buffy and the Drew Carey show, and then a couple shows I didn't know. But, uh, but yeah, that's basically what I did. And it's still something I tell people, you know, just call every show and just see if they're hiring, because you never know, you know. So. Okay. Uh, let's move on. Ryan. Hey. Tell us about yourself. Where do you come from? What is your uh, background as a writer, as a TV viewer, as a TV writer? That's a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. we have all night. <laughs> um, I'm originally from Detroit, um, and I was going to be a firefighter, so it's a big, big switch for me to be doing this now. Um, and then I was going through EMT school, and I realized that I didn't want to do medical runs for 90% of my job. So I quit EMT school, and I started driving around the country and, like, just for fucking doing stupid shit. And, <laughs> and, and then I came back to Detroit and started working all these odd jobs. Like, I've worked probably any shitty odd job you could probably imagine. And... Uh, then I started taking acting classes at a community college. Uh, where, where did that come from? Was there an interest in this at all? Um, yeah, before? no, it actually probably came from my older brother because my older brother uh, was always into like film and, and stuff like that. So he was sort of the, the movie buff in our family, and I was kind of like the kid who was like, football and girls and booze, yeah! <laughs> and then, uh, so, you know, then when I was taking the acting class... <laughs> I uh, started doing playwriting, and uh, I just I really really enjoyed it, and really uh, kind of fell in love with uh, Eugene O'Neill and um, some of the absurdists and things like that, and uh, just start you know putting stuff down. And what I found is that it was an amazing canvas to just sort of do some exploring of characters and dialogue because in theater it's like you don't have the benefit of any special effects or editing or anything it's just you have to have interesting people saying interesting things or people are going to walk out and so I started doing that and then I was about 20 I was literally in community college for like four or five years fucking <laughs> insane and I had a I had a teacher and a, you know Mike <laughs> my buddy I went to community college is right back there um, and so then finally my professor pulled me aside and she's like Ryan like what are you doing here <laughs> get the fuck out of Michigan you know so so then I moved to Boston I went to Emerson um, and I kept doing the playwriting out there, and it was about that time when I, when like kind of the cable shows really started doing, like I really started getting into Six Feet Under and The Sopranos and Rescue Me, and and just kind of seeing that the quality to me, in my opinion, was you know surpassing film greatly, and um, you know you can't, it's hard to make a living as a playwright, you know, but you can still kind of do playwriting on the small screen. I mean, TV writing is a lot more like playwriting I feel like than script writing I mean film writing and um, so that was sort of like kind of got me excited about that so then I applied to USC for grad school I got in there and then uh, yeah you know then I just kept doing it I wrote a script at USC that got in the hands of uh, one of the showrunners at Cold Case was this a, a feature script? no it was a pilot oh yeah what was it? What does a, a USC grad student write for a pilot? 
What I wrote, uh, oddly, oddly enough, um, was a pilot about – this was right around the time Breaking Bad came out, and it was about a, a pilot about kids in Detroit who sold meth. <laughs> um, and, you know, when I was pitching it around, they're like, you know, that's an amazing idea, but Vince Gilligan's doing the show Breaking Bad. Um, which actually I think helped me in a lot of ways because it was in the zeitgeist and people were like, oh, this people are doing this sort of stuff. And um, so then off of that, uh, I was brought on to Cold Case as the researcher because I had no experience. So I actually started as the researcher and, and like Jenny, I got, I got a freelance out of that. Um, you know, did that, then came on as the staff and wrote a couple more episodes for him there and then went over to Chase which was an eye-opening experience. and um, we'll, we'll get into that a little more, but I just want to stop for a second and talk yeah. about uh, when you were a researcher, was it just for a cold case or were you working on other shows? Yeah, it was just for a cold case. Uh, can you talk about what that entails? Um, only a certain number of shows really have researchers. I think Grey's Anatomy has one. Um, do you guys have one? Uh, we do not. Okay. Um, but fall under writer's assistant. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, a lot of times it does. But on Cold Case, it was weird because the writer's assistant wasn't in our room. Like, the researcher sort of took on that role a little bit. What was the writer's assistant doing? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. Elena? <laughs> <laughs> Committing crimes. <laughs> One of our show, the showrunner's assistant Cold Case is out there, too. And I, Thanks. That's no good for the podcast. <laughs> Number twenty-five. Well, it helps me. It helps me out. So, and then I. Uh, but for research, like thing with Cold Case, we would do, ev- like we would do episodes about like roller skating in the seventies, and then like on an aircraft carrier in the fifties. So, like the research would just vary what whatever they needed, you know, um, which was great for me because I mean a lot of the work I do is very research based anyway. Um, so that show was really good for that. Um, and I just kind of, you know, I stayed a lot of hours, you know, created good relationships with the people there um, and was fortunate, you know, lucky. Thanks. Uh, we'll t- and we'll talk about the, yeah. the present in a bit. But, uh, Michael, sorry to keep you waiting. Enjoying, enjoying hearing everyone else's stories. <laughs> well, tell us yours. How did you break in? What's your background? Yeah, I was born in a little house on the prairie. Uh, no, I, I don't know. Um, what's interesting, I mean, um, there are definite roots into this business, and I actually advised a, a young guy on, 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 on your staff oh, cool. about how to... Yeah, DJ. Yeah, about how to, how to kind of do that, the writing assistant route and stuff, but um, I didn't know about that. I mean, I anything like that. I was in New York. I actually really didn't know that television was written by people or where jokes came from. I mean, so um, I went a really kind of circuitous route. Maybe that's uh, a lesson that's worthwhile in itself. I, I often thought that if I ever, or sometimes thought if I ever went back to, let's say, my high school to man a jobs table, I'd man the table that says no job <laughs> and just, you know, figure out what the fuck you want to do um, instead. Which is, you could make a living that way, actually, in New York. Just, you could eat that out if you sell stuff on Avenue A. But, um, <laughs> but in any case, I, uh, I was in college. I got really interested in movies. Uh, and I made a kind of half-assed short film. And then I, I had an idea for uh, just sort of the tumult of college life of a, of a movie I wanted to write. So I wrote it, but I didn't finish it. 
because um, I got really kind of scared about like surviving, um, and I wasn't sure where to go with it. Um, I spent a I spent a part of a summer working with the guys from Trauma Films. I don't know if any of you know yeah. Toxic Avenger. You know, the first thing I did there was like how to making sex noise with Vaseline and a stick I found in the park. Um, <laughs> And I worked in the editing room, and I was getting paid 50 bucks a week. It was really hard to eat on 50 bucks a week, never mind pay rent. And I was working with this editor, and this was long before, you know, digital editing. We just, I was sweeping up the film clippings, because we still had those at the end of the day. And the guy turned to me and said, I know this seems bad now, but 10 years from now, you'll be sitting where I'm sitting. And I looked 10 feet across the floor to where he was sitting, and I thought, fuck now. <laughs> So I took the first job I could get that had anything to do with writing, and that was as a sports writing editorial assistant at a newspaper in Asbury Park, New Jersey, where the sports editor said, how did you get to be 22 years old and know so little about sports? And I said, because I don't care. So then I became a business editorial assistant. I didn't care about that either. But I somehow, somehow managed to stay there just for a number of years, and it became a really good reporter, just, I guess, because I was young, and I didn't realize I was actually getting older. It wasn't actually physically apparent to me at the time. It just was nice. There was the beach. Um, it was a job I was good at. But I didn't want to be there, I guess, inside, because at one point I told the managing editor to get down on his knees and blow me. And it was just because <laughs> someone had put a comma in my lead paragraph that, where there was no need for a comma. <laughs> I actually don't think I overreacted. Um, <laughs> No. No. I'll tell you, one of the most disturbing things when I finally got into television writing was, you know, after my experience of being a newspaper reporter and being rewritten by idiots and having my stuff turn into shit was actually coming in TV writing and have people rewrite my stuff and make it better. I found that really disturbing. I didn't actually have the mental framework to deal with that for a while. Um, but anyway, um, I think it was like that was my unconscious's way of actually making a career change. And... Um, I started a rock band. I, I actually couldn't sing or play an instrument, but at the time, this seemed like a really good idea. And I found a couple of other idiots to do it with me who also couldn't sing or play guitar. And then we actually found someone who could sing, and we just made it our business to really suck for a while. And then gradually, because it's just amazing, if you just hold an instrument for your hands long enough, out of boredom or something, you'll start figuring out how to play it. And we just gradually got better. And uh, I moved to New York, where you could live really cheaply in the East Village. And this is what I should have been doing when I got out of school. Um, and just kept playing music. Um, and not making much money or not being rock stars, but just enjoying it. And I guess because I was doing that, it was just something that I had seemed so unsuited for. And was something so that I would never have considered to sort of open me up to thinking about what else can I do. And so I tried being a firefighter, too. But... They went, they went, I couldn't carry the hose up past the second floor. And we're, but um, no, really, um, my band, I would, the time my band had yet to follow me to New York. It took a while to get them to do that. And now, like 20 years later, they're finally following me to LA. So I may have a chance to get out of this fucking day job finally and get back to rock and roll, which is what matters. But, um, but uh, I, so I was driving my motorcycle to rehearse in New Jersey where they still lived in a friend's basement. And after we rehearsed, we'd sit around and watch The Simpsons. And that was just the routine. And one day I had a really good idea for a Simpsons story. I don't know what possessed me, but I wrote essentially a Simpsons movie. And um, I sent it to The Simpsons. 
And they actually said, well, you know, we're not ready for a Simpsons movie yet. And actually, they didn't say anything. Um, it just kind of disappeared. But um, a person I befriended in the strange building I live, a guy I actually didn't know was a guy. Um, that was my neighborhood. But um, he turned out to know everyone, and he just took my script, and he ran down to a bar where he lived at, essentially, and he ended up giving it to a guy who lived across the street in East 3rd Street who was writing for, as a freelancer for Star Trek The Next Generation. And that guy really liked my Simpsons script and gave it to his agent who didn't. And, um, <laughs> but he said that uh, you should try writing for this show because um, they occasionally use new writers. And um, I had not been into science fiction since I was a kid. I had not watched this show, but I watched it. And it's interesting. One of the things you said about television writing being very theatrical. This was an extremely theatrical show. The Next Generation remembers that. Um, dialogue, uh, high concept situations that you know you could tell very allegorical stories. And um, I got into it. And I kept pitching my friend ideas. He eventually got hired onto that show. His name is Rene Echeverria. He's now running um, Terra Nova. Um, and, uh, but he kept, you know, shitting on my ideas. So finally I had an idea that was so good, I said, fuck it, I'm not going to even tell him. <laughs> I just wrote it. And um, I sent it in, and they liked it, and uh, it got me a chance to pitch formally to other people on the show. But I ended up selling my first idea to Renee. Did and, you, um, when yeah. you wrote that Star Trek script, did you know how to write a script? I mean, you had written the Simpsons thing, but it seemed like that kind of just came out of you. It did. Uh, but did you know just, about yeah. format and, you know, what act breaks and things like um, that? Well, you know, I, you know, there's a goddamn so many of those books, and that's mostly what they're about, is how to type it. But, um... <laughs> so did you, did you seek those out? Uh, well, you know, I'm sure I got a couple or something, you know, um, you know, so it looked right. I did. But um, mostly what I did is there was a ton of fan-generated information about these Star Trek shows. They were so popular. And guys who later went on to make Star Trek movies, they made a, they had magazines where they summarized every episode. So even the stuff I hadn't watched, I was able to find out about. There'd be little interviews with the writers, the ideas that sort of gestated to become the stories. And, uh, and then I had an idea. I just, you know, I went off on my own. I it's a cool idea. I did a lot of research for it and computers and psychology and stuff like that. And um, so I guess by that time, you know, it, it was kind of ready to do it. Sure. But uh, on the strength of that and the ideas I pitched them, I ended up writing four freelance episodes for another show, Deep Space Nine. And um, my first show got nominated for a Hugo Award. It was like been downhill ever since. But like... <laughs> But um, they eventually hired me onto Voyager, and um, and I like I said, it's very strange. I'm, I'm jealous of you guys. You do all sorts of interesting things, but I wasn't planning to be a genre writer. I feel like Michael Corleone just they just keep pulling me back, and uh, they just keep giving me jobs. So it kind of sucks. I, I fantasize read about Charlie Kaufman, like you know, writing brilliant scripts and nine months off from work, but no one's given me nine months off from work, you know. And I don't know what happened if they did. I might go crazy but um so i've just sort of continued in in this mode and um i've done some shows that i've really enjoyed uh i had a great time working on battlestar galactica with ron moore i think a lot of people who've worked on shows that are really good uh will find it's 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 kind of the same experience uh, anyone i've talked to you you're just you're a bunch of writers there who are probably pretty talented to start with but otherwise are just getting better and better because of the environment they're in and the challenge of, you know, 
getting over a bar that keeps getting raised higher and higher. And it's really hard, and it's just really fun. And um, that was probably my best staff experience um, writing. And uh, I went on and did a spin-off uh, Caprica. Uh, I did a pilot uh, for Fox called Virtuality. I think they aired as like a, a TV movie on like in the summer on a Friday night in July. So they were really hopeful that it would, that it would hit. I think actually it originally was going to be on a Saturday in July at two in the morning, but then they said, "Yeah, what the fuck? People seem to be interested." But it was a it was a really good experience and it, it was a really good show and you know it sucked, but you just you know you just keep doing it. I have another pilot, the Sci Fi Network called. Um, Blood and Chrome, it's another Battlestar spinoff. So, you know, that came out really well, so it's probably going to fail, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. And I just joined the staff of uh, another show on sci-fi called Defiance. Uh, it's uh, by, uh, created by a guy named Rockne O'Bannon, and uh, it's basically a post-apocalyptic Western with aliens and shit. And, uh, and I think it's going to be a really good show. Um, it's a really great staff. And I also have two mortgages at the moment, so... It's almost irrelevant. But um so please give. Please. But uh but honestly, uh it's it's interesting because I haven't been in a room for like for like a year and a half while doing my own thing. And um it's it's again, it's like it's like the first day back at school meeting the new kids. And I got there ten minutes late and sure enough they already knew each other and had formed clicks. So um and I felt shut out. But this is the second week, so I'm going to try to, like, elbow my way back in. You know, I'm going to bring cookies or something. So, um, anyway, right, well, that's my story. That's a good story. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that room or, or any of the rooms you've worked in in a minute, but I want to come back uh, to Alan for a second. Prior to Parks and Rec, uh, what was your television experience? What had you been doing those past couple of years? Well, the past couple of years, my first job uh, out of school was on the pinnacle of late-night comedy entertainment, a show called Last Call with Carson Daly. Uh, <laughs> it, and it was on at 1.30 in the morning on NBC. Uh, and But what was nice about it was there were a couple of things. First of all, I got to move to New York and live there, and we shot at 30 Rock and, and, and used the same stage as SNL, and so we met all those writers. And what really ended up happening was when I got there, the show was just Carson interviewing someone and then a band playing. That was the entire show. So I was like, there's not a lot of writing to do on that show. But then partway part through, uh, he was like, oh, I should try to get the 1230 slot, so let's make this into a regular talk show. But what ended up happening was... You know, there were like three writers there, and on a show like Conan or The Tonight Show or, or Letterman or whatever, they have 15, 20 writers. We had three guys, and we were just trying to do stuff every night, so it was a really sort of, you know, run-and-gun gorilla, like, do whatever you want. And, and uh, you know, you end up do, wearing a lot of hats and, like, being in all the bits and, and, and editing Yeah, and were you able to take stuff that you had uh, done at the Lampoon or take that mentality and bring it over? Had that prepared you well, in any way for I, this insane yes, experience? Yes, I'll, I'll, you, I'll tell you this. So the, the, the Lampoon sensibility and Carson Daly aren't, aren't the best match. It wasn't, it wasn't like, a, it wasn't like a, a match made in heaven. But, uh, no, but that was what was really cool about it is Carson, like, just he was the nicest guy and, like, just let us do whatever we wanted. And it ended up being, like... 
you know, there was a lot of talent on that writing staff. Guys from that show, uh, I work with one named Dan Gore. He's a writer on Parks. Actually, another guy, Dave King, writes on Parks, too. Steve Healy writes for The Office. You know, everyone on that show kind of just went on and did good things. So, um, you know, it was just a fun time. And, and then, then I moved out to L.A. and worked on South Park um, on season 10. And were you and, a writer uh, on South Park? Yeah, How did that yeah, work? yeah. Well, they, they don't call anyone a writer on That's that show because <laughs> Trey Parker has written every episode of that show for the last... 12 years or whatever. He's written the last 200 episodes. Um, but on South Park, it's a really, South Park's a really interesting show because, Trey, I mean, Trey does everything. Trey, you know, writes and directs and does half the voices and whatever. And so you're just there to try to pitch story to him and pitch character turns and stuff. They don't really want jokes. You're, you're just, so, you know, it's a very strange schedule. The show airs on a Wednesday and you'll go, you'll go in, your week starts on Thursday morning. You'll go in and He'll walk around the conference table. You'll pitch story to him. And then at noon, he might be like, okay, I need to write some pages. You guys go home. So you go home, and then he might call you at, like, 8 p.m., and then you go to his house and, and pitch more story to him. And, like, it's, it's insane. I mean, it's an animated show, but I remember the season finale of season 10, we were going to do this episode about, it was, like, from the point of view of the headlights and kids' hair. And, and, uh, and, and uh, he's like, ah, I, don't, I don't like this headlights episode. Let's, uh, let's do this hockey episode. And we're like, really? It's Sunday morning. The show airs on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. So that show was conceived, written, voiced, awesome. produced, animated between Monday and Wednesday. And a PA drove over to Comedy Central at like 6.30 p.m. And they put it in the machine and it aired. It's like, what? Like, that's, that's how that's going to work? But, yeah, but so, so, yeah, that show was cool because those guys are geniuses. And I was happy to be in a room with them. But, you know, you don't get to write a script there. You, you just you pitch to trade. How many of you were there working pitching? Uh, there were like, it's insane. There, the, there were two or three of us and Matt and Trey yeah because that show again like w the way you get hired on that show is also insane like I remember they had read a script or something I wrote and they liked it and then I didn't hear anything then I got a letter in the mail that was like hey meet us at Van Nuys airport on Monday morning it was like a private airport so and they're like pack a bag I was like what and so I drove to the airport with a suitcase and they're like hello and I, the first time I met them was on a private jet that they had chartered and so we flew to Pebble Beach and just stayed at Pebble Beach for a week <laughs> And I was like, and they're and they're like, oh, by the way, you're not hired yet. This is like a week long interview. <laughs> so I was like, what? And so in the morning, you would just like go, uh, you know, you'd go to a hotel conference room and 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 talk about stories for the upcoming year and arcs and stuff. And then in the afternoon, you'd go do activities with them. Like you'd go hit golf balls or go to Monterey Bay Aquarium or go on a, go on a bike ride. And then and then at night, like they'll take you to a fancy dinner in Carmel or something and be like, uh, and, and Trey would drink 25 year old scotch and be like, uh, my dad wants me to buy him a llama farm or like I have 12 houses like he just like it was, it was it was really insane so at the end of the week they like fly you back they shook hands and like hey great job and I didn't hear anything again for weeks and then they're like hey come into work like tomorrow I was like what and so I went I got hired I was like what I don't, and the other the other thing is there were two other people on that trip who were new, and I never saw them again. <laughs> so I uh, pretty pretty weird, pretty weird time. Um, but yeah, I, uh, very, did very this in any way prepare you for your current job? Uh, it, it did. I didn't, and I'll tell I'll say this: uh, the you know. Trey Parker, Matt Stone, and Greg Daniels and Mike Sure have been my bosses at these two shows, and they're really, really good and talented, and they make good shows. And for me, the thing I took away from both of the, working with both of those groups of people is that story is number one. Even on a comedy show, story, 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 story. You write the jokes later, but just make sure everything tracks. And like they and Greg and Mike are so good about educating writers, and they like to hire young people and sort of guide them through 
making a TV show. So they, they give you all these guidelines, you know, motivation, stakes, turns, escalation, make sure the tone is consistent on our show and on The Office. It tends to be small, real, and relatable. And just, you know, it was very similar. Like, I, I came from writing jokes for a magazine or for a late night show or whatever. That's different. Like, for a, for a half-hour narrative, you just need the beats to be coherent and to have, have there be surprises and make sure those characters are consistent. So... Both of both of those shows, they're very different shows, but they were both obsessed with story. So that that that's what you know sort of was a common thread. That's great. That's really valuable. Um, Jenny, after being sort of in the mix on all of these shows, uh, what were you able to take from maybe and even talk specifically about things you were able to take from certain experiences that have kind of fueled what you write now? Um, sorry, I'm still reeling from the uh, the South Park story. Um, that was a great episode, by the way, the hockey episode. Uh, <laughs> Trey wrote it. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, he made a good choice. Good. Um, you know, it, I mean, it's interesting. I've, I've been lucky to work on a lot of really good shows um, that, that value story, because I, I think that's a really good point, that story really is kind of the most important thing, and, and I think the most successful shows are the ones that sort of stick with that um obviously on you know breaking bad we're we have these sort of big moments that are really shocking but you know at the end of the day it really has to be about those characters and, and what they're doing um so i guess really it was just sort of taking that you know sensibility of you know what are you trying to do you know you're trying to tell a good story you're trying to take the audience along with you you know and uh i don't know i guess i've just been really lucky to work with writers who value those things who you know Tell us about that, and let's talk Breaking Bad specifically, but tell us about the writer's room there. What's the culture of the show? Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a great room. Uh, Vince Gilligan, the creator, is the showrunner, and he's there every day, and he, run, he runs the room, um, and there are about six of us, uh, other writers, uh, and we just, we're there all day, <laughs> every day breaking story. Uh, at the beginning of the season, we talk for a few weeks about the general arc of the season, but then we break uh, we break it episode by episode, organically as a group. As a group, um, we do we kind of do all of that as a group. We always break all the stories together. Uh, it takes about two two and a half weeks for each episode to break each episode, which is a little long um, for shows. But uh, and we really go. It always starts with the characters, you know, what would Walt do right now? You know, this just happened. How would Walt react? Um, Can you give us an example, actually? Because, I mean, we're in season four now. It's airing right now. Uh, And you were there from the beginning of this season. Can you you talk about decisions that were made that affected this early part of the season anyway? Of season four? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, at the end of season three, um, you know, we had a bit of a cliffhanger where... Uh, you know, Gus is... This is spoilery. Uh, Gus has... Uh, if you guys oh, aren't on board by now... So watch the show. Uh, you know, Gus is going to kill Walt. Um, he's going to replace him with Gale. And because, you know, Walt had planned to kill Gale because he knew he was going to do this, but of course he can't, so he, he ha- Jesse has to do it. So at the end of the season, it ends with Jesse shooting Gale. Um, and, you know, Jesse is... You know, he starts out as kind of a bad kid, but he's really... He's kind of a, you know, he's a good person, and this is the first person he's ever killed. So coming into season four, it was, you know, how is Jesse going to get, you know, how is Jesse going to react to this? It was really important to us that we didn't just, every time we kill someone on the show, it's very important to us that there's a realistic reaction. You know, like Hank had PTSD after 
you know, his shootout with Suko. And that's been something that's still going on. You know, we want to show that there's a real-life consequence to this stuff. So with Jesse especially, we really wanted to show, you know, so, so now we have him in this sort of perpetual party mode of, you know, trying to block everything else out. Um, and we also had Gus who, you know, he can't kill Walt, but he really, really wants to. Uh, <laughs> he really, really wants to. So he has to, sh- so it's, you know, he needs Walt to keep working for him, but he also has to show that he's in charge, that Walt belongs to him. So that was sort of where we started with the, uh, you know, him slitting Victor's throat. And do you remember, and, you know, maybe this is getting ahead of ourselves in the show, and you don't want to talk about it, but this won't go out for a few months anyway. But um, do you remember what Vince came into the room with already, as opposed to what he then had to open up to the the room and ask about? Yeah, Or Um, or season three, for that matter. I mean, you were there for that. You know, every year is different. Um, season two, he came in with the plane crash, and we wrote towards that. Um, uh, season three, he came in with, oh, okay, what do we, where do we go now? Um, so this season, I think he, you know, I think he came in. He wanted Gus to make a big statement. I think the throat slitting came in the room, um, but he just. I think we all had general ideas of we need Gus to make a big show. You know, we need Walt to have to have to make the argument of his life, like why Gus can't kill him. Um, and we really want Jesse to have a reaction. And then we kind of worked out what we thought those would be in the room as a group. Uh, thanks. That was great specific stuff. Uh, Ryan, talk to us about where you are now and uh, how Cold Case and, and Chase, too. I'd like to get into that a little bit. Um, no, you don't. You really do. <laughs> No one's ever going to hear this. It's fine. <laughs> no one downloads this podcast. We made that very clear at the beginning of this. Um, but talk to us about those experiences on Cold Case once you were made a writer on it, um, and then on Chase, and how that's kind of informed your writing today. Um, I mean, I hate to be a bore and echo what everyone's saying, but it, I mean, it really is story. I mean, it's character and story. Cold Case was... A little bit different because it was obviously a Bruckheimer procedural, but the, the one thing that, that it did have going for it is that it, every episode was sort that of, was a self-contained sort of short story within it through the flashbacks. So you at least, while you're trying to do this procedural structure, you could at least get some of your own characters and your own story through that. So so that was helpful. Um, I feel like procedural writing is, is a different, is kind of a different type of writing in a, in a way. Yeah, how so? Um, it's just, uh, I'm, I mean, personally, I prefer more serialized programs myself. Um, but with procedural, it's often you have you have to adhere to a specific structure on a who done it. I mean, it's a who done it. So on cold case, it was like. We had to hit specific beats every week. We just had to. That was like what we were. Like what kind of thing specifically? Uh, we had Meredith here last week, and we did. We weren't Meredith's ever, awesome. A couple weeks ago, she was great. Yeah, she's. Uh, but we weren't able to get very much into the process of writing or breaking those stories. Uh, so tell well, us what what did you learn in doing that? Um, well, by time I by time I got there, Meredith uh, was gone already. You know, she. No, Vina actually. We were uh, Greg and Greg Plegman and Jennifer Johnson ran it by the time I got there. Um, so it had three different sets of showrunners through the course. I think maybe even four. Um, 
but there were just, you know, because the thing with that show is that, you know, you were trying to solve a murder from like 20 years ago without making the cops from back then look like retards, you know? <laughs> and, and so that was like, ended up often being the biggest thing. Like, well, why can't they do that? Well, why didn't the cops in 1984 do that? Um, so that ended up sort of being the biggest thing and like, you know, trying to set someone up and bring him back. And we always had a stakeholder and things like that. Um, you know, but Meredith really, really found something with that because she took the procedural and she was like, because everyone for years was trying to do cold case, like that type of show, you know, and it just couldn't get off. And it was Meredith who was like, flashbacks, music. Okay, yeah. done. You know, we got it. it. Made a lot of sense. Yeah, and and, they, and and it worked. Um, so, but. I took a lot away from that experience, just from the people, you know, my boss, Greg Plegman, he now runs Persons of Interest, he's a great human being. Um, he wrote for NYPD Blue, you know, so he came from a very, like, gritty character sort of place, and so he would teach that a lot, and that's sort of where his, his sensibilities were, and that's, and I sort of aligned with that a little bit. Um, um, yeah, I don't know what... Uh, have you been able to use that stuff in your current job? Um, well, I've only been there for a month, Unjustified, so we're just still, like, very early in the process. Like, we haven't even started breaking our first episode yet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that show has so many good people on it that have been there for so many, you know, since the beginning, and they do the majority of the writing on the show. Um, That's actually, this is something we should talk about, I think, uh, and Michael will get to you in one second, I promise. I'm, I'm um, just listening. But as are are you are you the newest hire on Justified? They actually hired four new people. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. So half the staff is is uh, uh, old school, and and half the staff are, are newbies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I mean it, it's an awesome group of people. Jenny worked with pretty much all of them. Yeah, a bunch Rains. of them worked on Reigns, which was oh, Grammy's show sure. a few years back. So. That's right. And you know she'll she'll testify as well that great people i mean it's just a good group of people who um, are but let's talk for a sec about you know you've been the new guy on a couple of shows now yeah what what is your job as the new guy on a show you know uh, how do you approach the room how do you participate or not participate well sometimes i have a habit of like saying too much and sound like an asshole but uh when i'm when i'm not doing that i'm trying to contribute without um kind of stepping over my boundaries. I mean, that's a big part, because I'm only story editor level now, which is like one step above staff writer level, so it's like you got, you know, you might want to contribute, you know, because everyone has ideas, and everyone thinks their ideas are awesome and whatever, you know, and they care about them at the same time. You also have to, like, respect not just the process of the show, but the people who have created the show. Like, you know, on, on Justified, like what they did last season, that was some of the best stuff on television. I mean, that was incredible. And so you come into that as a newbie, and it's just like, just contribute, you know? And so, they, I mean, they told me when they hired me, they're like, you know what, Ryan, you might not get an episode this season, like, because they have three people, you know, Dave Andron, Ben Cavill, and Taylor Elmore, who are all, all awesome, and they do the majority of the writing on the show. And so I'm like, well, that's fucking fine. I don't care. I'll, 
Like, I'd love the show. I'll sit in a room and talk about Justified all day. (laughs) You know, and and if I get an episode, great. And if not, you know, and I think that's a part of it, too, as far as, you know, like, not feeling entitled, you know, is a big part of it. You know, like, you talked a lot about just keep continuing working your way up. And um, and you just kind of got to do that. Um, At the same time, you also have to you know, respect yourself and not let people like walk all over you. And that kind of goes into like the second job I had, um, and why that didn't last very long. But, uh, it's, so you're straight, you're constantly striking a balance, um, of trying to get your ideas across without, you know, being a blowhard about it. Yeah. That's good advice. Uh, Michael, We've had a few uh, Battlestar people here uh, and a few people who kind of worked with Ron Moore back on Star Trek and all that. We haven't really gotten to dig very deeply on what the room was like on that show. Uh, Do you want to talk about that? Well, when I came in, I mean, it was uh, two years in, and they kind of worked the kinks out, and they they really knew what they were doing. And... um, uh, it was just a, a room of uh, some really talented writers. Um, How many uh, writers were on the staff it was when a you came? Small staff, in? though. Um, you had a, a writing team of David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, uh, who are right now doing Falling Skies, and they did CSI for a few years. Yeah, they after. were here a couple weeks ago. Oh yeah, right? cool, yeah. cool. Um, and uh, they were kind of the heart and soul of the show. They'd been there since the beginning. They were just, you know, they they'd work all hours. Uh, David. Uh, lives up in a trailer park in Malibu, a really nice trailer park, nonetheless. But, you know, they're nice. You just sack out on the couch and, you know, and just stay there. And they are really committed. And uh, Michelangeli, a really brilliant writer, uh, is working on a, developing a new show with stars right now. Uh, Mark Verheiden, uh, who started on Falling Skies, uh, did the first season. Um, uh, I work with uh, oh, Graham, actually. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. You wrote two episodes. Yeah, and then, then Graham left, and he left it left the whole thing to Mark <laughs> deal with. And Fred, but, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, and, uh, and you know, and, and Ron. Um, and it was just, you know, so it wasn't a huge staff. And the cable, I've worked mostly in cables in Star Trek, and I'm not used to a large staff. It's like not a matter, you know, you won't get an episode this week. It's like you won't sleep this year because, you know, <laughs> Yes, you're, I did, you know, like in Caprica, I, I did two in a row. Um, and I've done people in three in a row. It's just, you know, which is, you think, oh, I wouldn't do that. But it, it gets, you know, it gets, it's, it's really hard. Um, but uh, at the same time, you have a, you know, a small group. We ate together every day at the, at the cafeteria. You know, once every six months, we treat ourselves to the commissary. I don't know. We just like the cafeteria <laughs> for some reason. Um, what was what was the atmosphere in the room? Because the show didn't shoot here, right? So right, you were kind of separate from the production. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it tended to be a pretty grim show, uh, though there was levity in it. What was the mood uh, in the room? It was very grim. <laughs> <laughs> Every day, people would wander in, injured, <laughs> bleeding. We only had 33 We were good people, but we did villainous things, but for good reasons. Um... <laughs> One time I took Ron's seat on a couch and... No, um... 
really, we just had a good time. I mean, I guess it was a grim, in some ways, a, a dark show. I don't know about grim, uh, <laughs> but it certainly was dark. It's funny, I, I pitched a movie the other week, and um, and I was kicking myself because I thought, God, this is this is like a kid's movie. It's like a sci-fi thing. It's terrible. And afterwards, they said, you know, God, it's really interesting. It's it's very dark, though. And I said, really? He said, yeah, kind of have to be already. I said, really? And they said, well, you know, you rip the guy's skin off by aliens, and then you, you actually kill the hero and replace him with an alien. And I thought, you know what? Maybe that is a little dark, but <laughs> that may be the battle story experience. To me, that still seemed G-rated. But, uh, so uh, it really, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. But the, the main thing about a room like that, and I think Ron set the tone, is like, you know, you could argue like you were going to kill each other about... S- uh, an, an issue, a plot turn, whatever it might be, a character, uh, but it was never personal. It was, you know, really just about doing the best show you could, and um, and so it was, a, you know, this is a really good experience. There were no politics. I mean, I'm sure people have had all sorts of experiences on different shows where, you know, still could be very good shows, but nonetheless, where. You know, people jockeying for some position. Who has someone's ear? Uh, who is? You know, it's just, it's just, it's just so time-consuming and such a pain in the ass. Um, and and shows like that, you know, good. Show, you know, it's just, it's not, not, not a factor. You know, can everyone. You, I'm sorry. Finish. No, go, go ahead. Um, can you talk? Can you compare that to Caprica? Because I know that was a bit more contentious. But did that touch the writers at all? It really wasn't contentious within the staff itself. Um, it was my first time starting a show with a, uh, you know, and I think, well, actually the Dead Zone uh, was, I was on the first season. But um, the network was you know, concerned and controlling, and um, and so we wrote, but it seemed, first it seemed, you know, this is great, this is easy. We were six episodes, in, you know, written before we even, you know, started production. And then, like, you know, a few weeks, a couple of weeks in production, they threw all six of those episodes out. And um, so then it became, you know, it, it just became really tough. I mean, I mean, not that tough. I compared it to the Baton Death March at one point, but it wasn't that bad. Um, <laughs> well, I really can't compare. But, um, but uh, it just, you know, it just... It became you know, it, was a, it was a lot of work. We were all trying to make it right. But it's, it's funny, when you could see a show, is it... Sometimes all sorts of factors almost beyond your control, and you can start seeing you know the ship turning in the in the in the wrong direction, you know, toward the iceberg. And the terrible thing is, you could see the iceberg. They didn't see it, but we could, you know, from they, like they six episodes the, away. They being the network. No, the ti- people on the Titanic actually. No. Um, <laughs> that's what I meant. Oh, this is not a metaphor. No, this is an illusion. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, but at the same time, we were you know doing. Our best work, and I actually think the show was it started slow and it picked up, uh, and then they decided to take six months off, or maybe nine months. They hadn't decided, so and these were for their own business reasons, or I actually don't understand. But um, you know, so it lost its momentum again. When it came back, you know, it was even better, but you know, people stopped watching. So. Um, you know, I actually think I think that the same. I think the night they canceled or something like. More people had watched a, a reality show about sewing or something. I don't know what it was, but um, it, it wasn't as if it was grim. I mean, we were just all trying to do good stuff. And the, the thing is, when you're, I mean, good show, you know, uh, bad show, or you know, a show that's not quite working, you're still enmeshed in the process. You know, you're lost in your own episodes, and and uh, it's still fun. 
you know. So that's great. Whatever. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. That's a good thing. Um, you, all four of you, have worked on other people's uh, shows that are other people's visions. I guess um, you know, collaborative as it may be. Is there a way to inject yourself into your episode or into your show? Have you had that experience? And any of you who have, can think of something offhand, by all means, jump in. But uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear from all of you on this. I mean, I think any story you pitch comes from you in some way, you know. Um, that was, to me, that was the one benefit about Cold Case is that, that we did have be able to tell these little short stories, and those were completely personal. I think all of mine dealt with, like, parent-child issues, and, you know, those are things that you see throughout all my stuff, you know. But then, like, for example, like in Justified, like, I went to Harlan a couple months ago for about eight or nine days to do research and so that's stuff that like when I'm talking about stuff in the room this season a lot of it's from personal experience or like my own interactions with people in eastern Kentucky and stuff like that so I think anytime some comes out of your mouth a lot of times it's because you connect with it either through an experience you relate it to or I'm going to stop talking <laughs> keep talking <laughs> I mean that's so cool that you actually went there I mean spent time yeah it's a wild place man yeah it's like everything everything they do on Justified if you ever think it's over the top <laughs> it's not at all what, uh, who did you talk to down there? What did you take away from that? That's really fascinating. Um, I t- talked to, well, they loved the show down there. Yeah. yeah, they loved the show. They were really pissed that, you know, spoiler alert, that we killed off Mags or <laughs> that they killed off Mags season two. But when you go there, it's an event. Like, I was with there with one of the other new writers, and it was crazy. Like, they asked us for our autographs. It was insane I'm just like no you don't no you don't want that like that's worthless like what do you hey like um, but, I'm me and it's not that good yeah it's like I don't ask you know I don't anywho so no but uh, they just love the show and so like I went there and you know I was able to uh I was able to get a list of people that have been in contact with the show, so I, was, I met with like the judge executive of Harlan, and, and when I got to his office, the mayor was waiting for me, and and, and like and then they, you know, it's a dry county, so they have one city in the whole county, and there's one bar in the county of Harlan, and then you go there, and they're like, they don't like outsiders, you know, because so many people have come in and just fucked them royally, so they just keep a real close eye on outsiders and you know no moonshine this oh yeah no i drank a bunch of moonshine (laughs) (laughs) bunch of a bunch of apple pie and a bunch of moonshine i've never had any any shine so like what's it like it's uh it's actually it's bark is worse than it's bite in my in my mind yeah it's because it's like you it smells like jet fuel like you (laughs) take the cap off and you're like Whoa. But it's kind of like a really, really hard shot of tequila. But the thing is, the buzz with moonshine is that it's completely mellow. Like, it's the most mellow buzz. You can be like, you can be totally bombed off moonshine and just be like sitting there, just watching TV, being like, yeah, this is. That sounds cool. I mean, I I I could alternate between dope and and that, and, and I. It'd be nice just for a change of pace, just to... Oh, it's great. Because when I drink whiskey, I'm like, 
Fucking yeah, you know, someone, someone should open a shine bar. I mean, there's scotch bars downtown. They really but like, should. But but it wouldn't be even illegal. You could just pretend. Kind well, of you can, you can, you can, um, you know, make it in such a way to where it's just where it is legal. You know, and the thing with moonshine, like, you know, a big part of season two was the apple pie and all that stuff. But no, that, I mean, that's they got that because that's what really happens in Ireland. Like they they make the moonshine a specific way, and they'll put berries in it, they'll put apples in it, they'll put, you know, I just had the apple pie, and then I shipped some uh, regular shine back to my place, but. Uh, <laughs> I honestly haven't drank it since I got it back. All right. Well, would you guys listen to a podcast of uh, Taylor and Farley? Just yeah, like, just like <laughs> where'd you get the talking about alcohol? Like, yeah. I'll, I'll try to answer that question seriously, though. I just, I mean, I maybe I I have been fortunate, or or I'm seeing this through rose-tinted glasses or something. Not these, but um, but uh, I don't know. I've heard everyone I've worked with. I've heard their voice in their scripts. You know, I, I mean, I could recognize their scripts by their, uh, without, you know, knowing who wrote them, it's by their voices. So uh, I think it's hard not to inject yourself into your, into your material. And I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, maybe in the context of procedural, it would be tough, but uh, tougher. But uh, then again, I, I saw it with Weddell and Thompson on CSI. They were very proud of their episodes. And it's just, you could see almost in, the, in their attempt to give, you know, get, give a little extra. You know, which they, they did uh, in terms of character or whatever it is. Uh, it's um, so, and I don't know how else you'd do it. You know, it's like you could try to emulate someone else's voice, and I guess to a degree you could do that. But I mean, I'm not even sure what that would be. I mean, what is their voice? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. you know, you try to write the show as well as you can. And, yeah, I mean, I think, and this is seems like obvious advice, but most of what you write is going to come from stuff you've experienced or like you know worlds you've lived in so like it's great to just go out and do things like the the uh, it's always my excuse for going out to to party or whatever that's something that'll happen it'll be funny and use it um but but yeah like uh, like i'll i'll pitch a lot of stuff sometimes for uh aziz ansari's character on the show he and i are good friends and we do stuff together and like we'll do stuff that'll work its way into the show um and this is this is going to sound like horrible, douchey name dropping, but we were um, our friend James Murphy is in this was in this band called LCD Sound System, and we were at his house while he was recording stuff. And he did this thing where he would always put the he's like a good DJ and stuff, but he would put the iPod on and be like, "I got to take a break. DJ iPod's going to take over." And so we just kept thinking, I was like, "That's really funny." Like thinking of an inanimate object being a, a DJ. So I ended up writing a thing in an episode I wrote called uh, uh, Sweetums, where Tom is his character throws a party, and he has a he has a Roomba, and he puts an iPod on it. And he calls it DJ Roomba, and he just puts it on there, and just like it goes around the whole party, like uh, playing playing songs and cleaning the floor at the same time. Um, so, so, and that all came from like, oh, like because I was at James's house, and he said something stupid, and then we thought about it, and uh, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think. You know, all the different. I, I feel like it's like a you know, it's a team of superheroes where everyone in the writers' room has their, has their own weird stories and their their backgrounds and 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 I don't know. Mike has set a great job like setting the tone of the show, but everyone brings little things. Like you read someone's script, and it's we all break the stories together, just like you know, you guys do on your shows. But you come back to the script, it's like, oh, this is really this looks like Harris's script or Katie's script or Aisha's script or whatever, and um, I think all that comes into play. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I would agree on because we do break everything together in Breaking Bad, but there are ideas where 
you know, if, if you're writing your script and you're not in the room and you come back and you look at the board and you're like, oh, that must have been a George pitch. Or, you know, like, if it explodes, it's a George pitch. Um, you know, things like that. Um, and then also in the scripts, when you get the scripts, like, I know whose voice it is, you know. Um, and my experience with my first episode is uh, I got to have the scene where Walt fires Gail. Um, and I have been fired. So, and it was, and I don't think it was justified either. So I pulled from that. I mean, there was definitely stuff in there, like, you know, from that. That's a specific example. I think you can always tell who writes the script. And then Vince does a great job of making sure that it all feels. Yeah, that was my next question. How much, and this is for all of you also, but Jenny, let's start with you. How much is rewritten by the showrunner? And I assume every script is. Yeah, he, uh. He's he tries to give us notes, uh, so we get to do our own rewrites usually, um, unless time does not permit. How many um, of those do you generally get of your own rewrite? Um, usually, uh, usually like a couple times, you know, once or twice. Uh, this last season, we kind of got the system down, so we didn't rewrite a lot. We did, you know, maybe two passes. So it was in the past, it maybe has been more, but this season was. Uh, it's like we know what we're doing now. Um, so, yeah, he definitely goes through, and he'll give you general notes and really specific line notes. So, you know, he he really is... I mean, he is the voice of the show, I feel like, and we work really hard to make sure that we stay within that, but he definitely goes through. And, but he's really good about keeping us a part of the process. So you do feel ownership over your script, and if you really disagree with something... I mean, he always has the final say, but he's always, he'll always listen to you and really actually consider your opinion. Like, if you can argue it, he'll, you know, he'll go with it. So. I, I feel like a good showrunner will teach, do their best to teach you their voice. Yeah. Um, and it, it really shows, you know, like, uh, it, you do, you can tell whose ever script it is, but I feel like a, if a showrunner knows their show, yeah, they're going to do their revisions or whatever to, you know, tweak it to whatever. But if they know their show, they're going to be able to put you in a position to where you're going to be able to execute their show. That's the idea. You know, like showrunners who just like have you spend hours in the room and then go off and rewrite everything. Well, they're not teaching you the show. That's what it, um, Well, when I began, you know, it was... I'm benefited from having some really, you know, good mentors. Um, a guy named Joe Minoski on Star Trek, just a brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, and uh, but even, you know, it, it depends. Even then, he he was he was a great mentor because he would, you know, sit down with me with a script and just kind of we just talk it through, kind of. And he'd make suggestions. He'd make sometimes specific line change suggestions and stuff. And uh, I learned a lot in that way. Um, but. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I haven't been rewritten much for a, a while. Um, and I think it's the nature of the kind of showrunners I worked with. I mean, this is possible, too. I mean, Ron Moore, I mean, he's kind of made it feel like it was our show. And his job was to tell you that great scene you just wrote, well, you know, maybe it could be better. You know, it's like, or, you know, what if you did... You know, that seems like the thing you would do. But what if you did the thing you didn't think you would do or didn't even imagine? And it was just constantly, you know, pushing it in a new direction. If you could anticipate it, you didn't want to do it. And, um, and that way, you, you, felt, uh, you felt challenged. I mean, but he did a little rewriting on my first episode. Uh, and that was it, pretty much. I mean, for, the, for my tenure there. And I think most people had a you know, similar experience. 
Wow, that's that's crazy. I'll just chime in because I think that I mean one of the small differences between comedy and drama rooms. We every script we do goes through what we call the rewrite room, which is Mike sits down on a computer. There are ten monitors. Every writer is in there, and we go line by line and change every joke in the script. You know, we just go by. So yeah, it's it's crazy to me that like you would write something and get shot and just because because we. I mean, but, but the, the upside of that is you get jokes in every episode. So whenever we have an episode, it's like, oh, great episode. It's like, well, you know, 60% of those jokes were written by Mike Scully or something. You know, it's like it's so, someone else is writing them. But, uh, but you, so, you know, you do have ownership of your episode. But, I mean, Mike obviously preserves his voice and is, is, is great at running that room and, and just going beating every joke. And I think on our show, it's even less intense than a lot of those really, really joke-based shows, based shows like Simpsons or Family Guy. Like, that's all. All they do is rewrite and pitch jokes. So it's a little bit different. But but uh, um, it's just our show is so collaborative and communal. Every script is written by everybody, basically. That's great. Uh, all right, let's open it up to questions from you guys. Please keep in mind that questions begin with a W or an H and not with an I. Uh, try to keep them somewhat general. We have four very talented writers up here, and uh, they should each get a chance to talk. Yeah. No. <laughs> Don't touch it. Oh, sorry. Um, this is a question specifically for Jenny, but I'd like to open up to all four of you. Whenever you're writing on a show that I presume you have absolutely no background in, I mean, I presume you've never cooked meth, um, what is it like entering that sort of a really, really foreign kind of world that you don't actually know anything about and you suddenly need to? Well, I mean, you know, don't judge. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Secrets. Um... Yes, I don't have a background cooking math. Um, and, but I also, you know, it, it's interesting because I think this kind of counts for almost all shows is very few people who write on a show have direct experience with that. You know, I mean, you'll have, you know, maybe a doctor or two on staff on, you know, Grey's Anatomy, but most of them don't. So it really is about, you know, your imagination and, and lots of research. Um, we read a lot of books. We watch a lot of shows. And it was funny what you were saying about Justified is if you think it's over the top... It's not. We, we get that a lot, too. Um, you know, we do crazy things, but, you know, I don't know if you know what the Mexican cartels oh are God. doing to each other. Yeah. It, it, it really is that bad. Um, oh, yeah. So it, it's really about doing the research and kind of trying to get your head in that, the thing that the person's going through that you can relate to. I mean, because everyone's felt hopeless. Everyone's felt you know, trapped in, you know, wall. I mean, everyone has felt trapped in their life before, you know, and we all make bad decisions. It might not be as bad of a decision as he makes, but I feel like that's how we do it is we just try to find the part of the character that we can relate to. And then we fill the other stuff in with, you know, great research or, you know, flights of fancy. <laughs> well, justified, we, you know, we don't just have, the, the history of Harlan and Bloody Harlan and, and the coal mining and all that, we got Elmore Leonard. So, you know, the show's based off a short story he wrote. And so, you know, El, uh, Graham Yost wears a uh, wristband that says, what would Elmore do? And we off, very often in the room, we constantly are reading his novels, constantly are saying, what would Elmore Leonard do in this situation? What's an Elmore Leonard character? What's an Elmore Leonard story? Because the whole series is based off a character Elmore Leonard created. So, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, cause some of us have went to Harlan and we got that experience, and we got that history, but then we also got this master storyteller who is influencing how we're breaking stories in a way as well. So, a little bit. You guys want to weigh in on this? 
No. Okay. Um, we can move on. What was the question again? I was just thinking about moonshine. Well, you. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's kind of tough to, you know, draw from personal experience when you're dealing with aliens and spaceships as much. I mean, though, you certainly you do. I mean, everything is you know translated through your experience. Um, it's uh, the show I've started on now, uh, Defiance again. It's. It's a brand new show, and uh, what's interesting is yes, well, I mean, what's not interesting or will be interesting is you know it's set on a, it's set on a, a, a Earth that has been terraformed chaotically into some kind of fractured, half alien, half familiar landscape, and we've got characters who are alien and characters who are human. But the first thing we started talking about was not like. Uh, you know, what kind of weaponry, what kind of technology, and what's the nature of whatever. It's just we start talking about these characters. And because they have, you know, funny alien names at first, it's kind of disturbing. You know, what would this person do or this character, odd character name do? But that's, you know, kind of the, the first step in, in getting to know a world, whatever it might be, is getting to know your characters. I mean, at least in, in the case of science fiction that I've worked in, in genre television, it's... um. That's always been very much a thing. That was the lesson that I learned back in Star Trek: is that you know the characters were the thing, and um, we spent we just spent our first week there, and we started talking about story pretty quickly. But mostly we just tried to figure out who these 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 folks were. Um, and there, of course, you could draw on on any amount of experience you might have. I mean, you all do uh, in terms of trying to create characters who might seem like people, whether they have prosthetic makeup or, or not. So. Other questions? Yeah. Sorry. Still don't touch it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> don't know the rules. Um, uh, I, I, this, I guess, is a question more directed at all of you guys. Uh, once a script is out of your hands and, like, in the hands of the actor, like, how much freedom do you guys give them to play? Like, and with Aziz and Zara, I mean, like, he's a great comedian. I'm sure he's got... <laughs> Um, I'm sure he has like ideas on the fly, like on the spot, and he'll like maybe try something. I mean, how much freedom do you give to give them to do stuff? We we get asked that question a lot because it seems like the sh- our show and the office are very they seem very free flowing and improvisational, and you know we try to write naturalistic dialogue. I would say that uh, you know probably ninety percent of the show is scripted jokes. We more and more also are telling more complicated stories and there are things that need to be preserved. So what's kind of nice is as the writer of the episode, you'll get to be on set for every scene of, of the show. So you know, my episode shoots tomorrow, so I'll be on set all week. And then for every scene, we'll do you know, four or five takes, see how things are going. You know, If something's not working, Amy might come up and say, let's work on this section and I'll think of alts. And then by the eighth or ninth take, we might do what we call a fun run where the actors get to sort of play and, and do whatever they want to do. But, and, and I think the actors get asked this a lot too, how much of it is improv, and they usually say, you know, it's mostly scripted. And, and granted, if they think of something that beats it, or if you think of something that beats it or the director does, you'll pitch it and we'll get that take. And what that really allows you to do is gives you freedom in the editing room. So someone, you know, Aziz or, or Aubrey or Chris might do a, an, an alt in a talking head where they pitch a great joke and they do it and it's way better than what we have. And then maybe you can switch stuff out and you, you can, you know, you can have that option. We, we, we overshoot a lot. We shoot 40-page scripts and we get 
38 minute cuts and the show is 21 minutes so it's it, it's a nightmare i don't know why we do that it's it's way more work than it's terrible it's it's like every week it's like can this be a, 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 an hour long it's like why are we keep why do we keep doing this this is terrible this is so much extra work but you know that's how the show is shot so um there the, i guess the, that's a long way of saying we give them freedom because they're 10 of the funniest people in the world and it would be foolish for us not to we ended up usually going with the scripted version but sometimes they get some gems in so I remember hearing, and maybe I imagine this, that the actors on Battlestar were given uh, quite a bit of freedom to uh, make the words their own. They weren't beholden to the literal words on the page. That's what they may have told you. (laughs) Um, uh, There was. There was latitude. Um, But it, it was not... You know, performances were were not improv, and we worked really hard on these scripts, and, you know, we wanted them to say the words. I particularly did, um, as I wrote them. But, but, you know, again, you have a really talented bunch of actors, and kind of what I love, I mean, my favorite part of the process is actually, you know, when you finally get out of the big room in your own room, and you're on the set, and you're working with the director, and you are working with the actors, and they will have their notes... And I will, you know, say, ah, oh, you know, and I'll rewrite dialogue for them. The night before, I'll rewrite it for them on the set. It's like my, my kind of favorite thing. Anyone ever remember a Woody Allen movie called The Front? Way back when. What's actually a Woody Allen movie? He just, he played in it. You know, he played a, a, a bookie who was hired by three blacklisted uh, uh, TV writers to just be their front, pretend to be, so they could still make money. And, <laughs> and everything, he has a hit show, everything's going great, except finally they say, we, something doesn't work, we've got to redo it. You got to do it right now. They put him in a room with a typewriter. Um, but I like that part of it. You know, it's um, he just goes down, you know, meets one of the guys at a cab and gets a script. But um, but it's uh, it is it is really fun changing on the fly. And, and, and talented actors have good ideas and and good instincts about their characters. Um, though I remember. Um, was it David Chase on Sopranos? Someone saying something about it's not what my character do, would do, and he said, "Who said it was your character?" And I appreciated that too. Um, but um, it's it's it, there's a give and take once you get to that that part. And I would say, yeah, ninety percent of most of the, most of the shows I work with is scripted. But you know, ten percent you've got to let you know an actor feel alive within the role and and respond to their own instincts, and you get great stuff that way. Jenny, do they send you guys to set? Yes, uh, the writer goes for their episodes. We shoot in Albuquerque, um, so we're there, and uh, it's it's. I think it's it's great for us to be there because a, a lot of times we do have the actors come up and say, you know, I don't know if my character would do this, or can I add this? And I think it's important for a writer to be there. Um, because you do want them to be happy with their character and comfortable, but we're also in the room and we know where the story's going, and they don't. So. Um, they don't always know as far ahead as we do. So there have been times, and I can't think of anything right now specifically, but where they've said, oh, what if I do this? And you kind of have to say no because we're going to play it in a later episode or it's going to interfere with a later episode. But at the same time, sometimes they come up with, you know, most of the time their instincts are great and they come up with great stuff. We've had, there was a line in, um, I'm pretty sure, it's the episode where Walt and Jesse get stuck out in the middle of the desert cooking and Walt's like, if we put this together, what do we get? And Jesse says, a robot? And that was Aaron Paul. I mean, that wasn't in the script. That was, and, you know, every now and then you just have to be like, all right, good one. And, you know, <laughs> I, I go with it. So, uh, 
So yeah, it's it's really collaborative, and I love being on set for those same reasons. So. Uh, very quickly, um, and Ryan, we'll start with you because you didn't get to talk that round. But uh, what are you <laughs> what are you watching on TV? What are they talking about in the room as far as television? Uh, what's inspiring you these days? We in the room talk about Breaking Bad. All <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's sort of that's sort of the big one, you know. Mostly because it's it's airing now, you know. It's like they talk about Game of Thrones a lot. I mean, me personally, I honestly don't watch as much television as I probably should, to be totally <laughs> honest. And when I do, I watch a lot of half-hour shows just because I don't, I don't know if it's because I work an hour, so half hour is kind of how I chill out, you know, but like one of my favorite shows right now is Louie. Like I yeah. watch that all the time, you know what I'm saying? I watch uh, South Park nonstop. Like I'm obsessed with it and I got to talk to you. <laughs> um, You're just big fans of the shows on this panel. I guess so, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I my favorite all-time shows are... Uh, Sopranos. Uh, I'm a huge Wonder Years fan. Actually, I feel like it's one of the best shows ever on television. Uh, Six Feet Under. I was a big fan of. Big fan of Deadwood. Um, so Rescue Me. I was a fan of for a while. Yeah. Uh, Michael, what am I? Um, I watch television in a really terrible way. I just always mean to watch the things I've DVR'd. Um, you know, like Breaking Bad and like last season of Justified, but now that it's been ruined, I guess I don't have to watch it. Uh, you <laughs> but, uh, still have to watch no, it. No, no, I still will, but I, I'll tend to like turn it on the TV and it'll be like, you know, Inglorious Bastards, and I'll watch 15 minutes until that scene where they, you know, they do that. Or, and then I'll basically watch 15 minutes of a movie I've seen 100 times before and then move on to 15 minutes of another movie I've seen 100. But I find this useful because in a writer's room, you sometimes use a shorthand. Like I think yesterday we were doing a, uh, you know, this sounds like, you know, scoring a, an ice skating event in, uh, in, in the Olympics. So it's like, we're going to do a, a half Ronin and then throw a casino on top of that. And, you know, but you, you have that kind of vernacular common language. But, uh, Right now, all I am watching is Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> and frankly, I think that's enough. So. Uh, Jenny. Uh, well, as far as The Room, um, we shows that come up a lot are The Wire, um, which I am personally catching up on right now, and it's awesome. Uh, Sopranos comes up, but we talk a lot about movies. Um, the one that comes up the most is probably Godfather, yeah. Slash Godfather 2. That comes up all the time. And, and Michael's <laughs> so right, you have a shorthand where you're just, you know, you're always like, oh, remember in French Connection? I think someone well, said the other day, oh, well, this guy's Fredo, you know? And yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, we had a character that I, I think it was, it might have been Gus, who we were consistently calling Kaiser Soze for a very long time before he actually got a name. So, um, and as far as personal television, I like. You know, I like Game of Thrones and True Blood, and I love Parks and Rec. Um, you know, that's really That's cool. At one point, we were talking about Game of Thrones so much in our room, we would play the theme song after anyone said anything. Just like, what is that? Like, 
we just have a huge TV screen and we watch the opening. Then this is really embarrassing. This, please don't spread this. This won't get up. But we would play, we would play their, we would play their credits with our theme song, and then, and then our credits with their theme song, and we're like, I like that one better. Like, no, I like that one. It's like, what? And it got to the point where we got nominated for a, a, a TCA, a TCA award, which is like a, a, a television critics association or something, and it was, it was great. We got nominated for best comedy, but then they have a category called Program of the Year, which encompasses both drama and comedy, and we were the only comedy nominated. And so Mike, our showrunner, came in and was like, hey guys, we got nominated for a TCA Program of the Year. It's great. These are the nominees. Mad Men, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Parks and Rec. And everyone in the room, on cues, chanted, Game of Thrones! Game of Thrones! He's like, you work for our show! You work for this show! This is... So, that we were obsessed with it. We're, we, we talk about it all the time. Alright, I'll get it. I'll watch Game of Thrones. Uh, please thank my panelists, Alan Yang, Jenny Hutchison, Ryan Farley, and Michael Taylor. Uh, a round of applause for 826LA and for everyone here at Nerdist Industries at Meltdown Comics. Thank you, guys. Now leaving Nerdist.com.